Hello, and welcome to Health Views with Deb Friesen, MD, a podcast about health and wellness within today's healthcare landscape. I'm your host, Dr. Deb Friesen with Kaiser Permanente, and I've been working in healthcare for over 20 years. During that time, I've learned that the most powerful tool for healing is the power of listening and the value of asking the right questions. Come join me as we'll together explore timely topics that impact people, businesses, and communities. Now let's check out today's view. On today's episode, I sit down with Mika Yoshino. Mika is the director of Kaiser Permanente's Digital Experience Center and has an important bone marrow donation story to tell. After learning of the shortage of bone marrow donors among minorities and mixed-race demographics, Mika became an active advocate for bone marrow donations and launched a program in 2015 called Will You Marrow Me? The program seeks to encourage KP's racially and ethnically diverse workforce to register on the National Bone Marrow Donor Registry. Please save a life and register to donate today by visiting the Asian American Donor Program website and to receive a bone marrow swab kit. And go to kp.org slash be the match, all one word, to read more amazing donor stories. So first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me. Um, through your passion, I've actually developed a passion of my own around this. And I tell you, I'm ready to do a bone marrow drive for my department because I want to help people save lives. I'm a little on the older side, so they don't want me to donate so much anymore, but I can still help with this. So this is just awesome. And I'm really excited about this. Would you tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of your journey um, as far as your career in Kaiser? (laughs) Uh, So um, the first half of my career, I was in product management and uh, medical devices um, and radiology. Um, I was a product manager for CAT scanners and MRI systems. Um, And uh, I I grew tired of spending all my money to make um, uh, quarterly earnings for some rich people. Um, And so... uh, and, and, you know, I had a stint with .com, and so I just found it um, not very satisfying. So um, in my second career, I looked for something where I felt um, my energy was serving a larger purpose and um, found a nice fit at Kaiser Permanente. Nice. So um, I'm really passionate about the mission, and I've been here 16 years now. That is awesome. I started over on the member services side um, in MSSA. Um, and in the last five years have been on the digital experience team. So we're almost the same. I'm in my 15th year here at Kaiser Permanente as well. So, um, and okay. I, and I totally agree with, um, feeling very lucky to have a company that I connect to purpose and mission about. Um, and I think that we all can have that experience. So that is awesome. So, so as a KP employee, you then started down a road of being a bone marrow donation advocate and organizer. And would you just tell me about that story? I know that it starts with your niece. (laughs) Yes. So uh, about seven years ago, my niece, Nora, who was very young at the time in elementary school, she joined us at a family Sunday dinner. Um, which sparked really the initial idea for the program. She shared a story about one of her preschool classmates um, who had been diagnosed with leukemia. 
Uh, he had initially had treatment, went into remission, and was doing well until he relapsed, at which time he needed a bone marrow transplant. And what was really striking was my niece um, instinctively knew at a young age that for Bay to find a match, um, the match had to be from someone who was similar to him. And Bay was of German and Japanese descent. And so at the dinner, Nora asked her cousins, my children, to be donors because my children are of Japanese and German descent as well. Oh, that is awesome. And I'm also thinking what an empathic little girl Nora must have been to be sharing <laughs> that story and to make that request. That is amazing. And so so the empathy, the compassion is already there. You're listening to a story at dinner, but you didn't just listen and say, oh, isn't that amazing? You You took it to the next step. What happened next with your interest here? Well, what's interesting is we were a little caught off guard. Um, when she asked the question at dinner, we realized we knew nothing about this topic. Uh, and so when she left, uh, we, 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 the family gathered around a computer and we actually did some real quick research. And that's when we found out that every three or four minutes, someone in, is diagnosed with blood cancer and that, uh, 70% of patients do not have a donor match from their family. In fact, you know, a sibling um, has a 25% chance of being a match for you. Which which is surprising, right? I mean, we think that, oh, you're my right. sibling. You're going to be a match for me because we have the same parents. Right. And, but but it's more complicated than that for everybody. It is. And, and so what we also learned is that there are typically over 14,000 patients waiting for a match um, every year. Um, and that's when, when we started asking, well, why? Why is it so hard to get a match? What we learned is that match is, um, really defined by your ethnicity, right? And, um, when you drill down to the national registry, it's predominantly uh, filled with Caucasians. And, and so anyone that is, uh, other ethnic backgrounds or even mixed backgrounds, they are less likely to get a match. Or if they do get a match, they often wait years to get a match. And, and then sometimes these patients don't have that much time. Yeah. And I saw numbers yeah. that were really similar. Um, the likelihood of finding a match if you're African American, 23%, Asian or yeah. Pacific Islander, 41%, Latino, 46%. American Indian or Alaska Native, 57%, and whiter Caucasian, 77%. So there's a lot of people who aren't getting a match. And we say that kind of euphemistically, right? But to not get a match for these people means that they die of their blood cancer. Right. And just to take those metrics and translate that back to Bay's story, how, that, how, how this works is so Bay was a mixed race. So the numbers that you just cited is if you were 100% African-American or 100% Asian, right? So if you're of mixed race, it's even worse statistics, right? And so here is Bay. His, ironically, his kindergarten teacher also came down with leukemia. Oh, my gosh. And um, But she got a match in two weeks. Surprise, surprise. She was I was just going to say, I was going to ask that question. Yeah. What, what, what ethnicity was she? Uh-huh. 
And Bay waited over a year to get a match, and he didn't have a match. So what they ended up doing, which is not always advised, clinically advised, is they went ahead with a bone marrow transplant from his father, which was not a 100% match. But it was the best they could do. So the best they could do, and they went to it knowing that there was a risk for rejection. Um, Fortunately, um, that's not been the case, and he is doing very well. And rejection happens. We all have these proteins or antigens. We call them human human leukocyte antigens. And they do correspond to ethnicity, right? So there are the proteins mm-hmm. that are on our body. And the trouble is that if you don't have genetic similarity, those new white blood cells that you make will actually attack the host, the body that you put them into. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a solid organ transplant, if you have rejection, you you reject that organ. But with marrow, with bone marrow, if you reject that, you actually reject the whole body because that's what's now your immune system. And so mm-hmm. that's why it's so important that people get a match that's as close as can be. And and I think the other piece that you probably know uh, better than I is, is the immunosuppression drugs that have to happen. It's not that you just get a new marrow necessarily, but you have to be on medicines to make sure that everything is going to match. And and I think there is a happy ending to that for Bay as well. Yeah, so in fact, you know, I'm, I'm, I follow him on Facebook and his mother is really good about posting updates. He turned 14 this year and he celebrated his what can call sixth rebirthday since his transplant. You just um, gave me goosebumps. So, you know, that is so yeah. exciting and meaningful. Um, and you were a part of that. Well, I, I, I'm not sure that, his, well, and maybe not directly on his success, but maybe for other patients. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so good to hear he's doing well. So, so there's this person in your life by way of Nora. You learn about this. You educate yourself. Um, there's a lot that you're interested in. And you work at Kaiser Permanente. What did you decide to do with this knowledge? Well, fortunately, you know, um, at the time I was working um, in the the side of MSSA that hosts the innovation conference every year. And they're always encouraging um, employees to submit ideas. And, And some are, you know, affordability ideas to reduce the bottom line for our organization. Um, uh, but there was another category about um, how we might better serve the com- our community. And so um, I submitted an idea that was primarily, uh, it was very simple. It didn't require technology. It was just about um, uh, an awareness campaign. And I thought I'd start small and said, hey, you know, if we're trying to reduce wait times for people that, patients that are waiting for a bone marrow transplant, Kaiser workforce is a very diverse workforce. Perhaps by increasing awareness with a call to action to either register or if you aren't able to register, maybe they could help host a drive or, you know, have leaders set community service goals around the promotion of, of this. And, and so they had choices and, um, the idea was accepted, and I presented it at the national conference. 
And, you know, what's exciting about being here at Kaiser is a lot of employees like you and I share the same passion of our mission. And there were so many volunteers that that surfaced. Senior leaders came to me and said, what can I do to help your cause? You know, um, marketing weighed in and, you know, physician partners weighed in. And so over time, year over year, we've we've implemented new aspects of our program to continue to um, increase awareness initially with our employee base, but it evolved to our larger um, membership. And it had the campaign, um, the campaign itself actually had what I thought was the most clever um, catchphrase. Will you tell this, tell us what that was? Well, the, the name of the program was Will You Marrow Me? Yeah, I loved it. It was just so clever. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so engaging, right? It's like, oh, well, I can marrow you. So so what happens? Um, so what if people do want to marrow you, for an instance? What if they want to be a bone marrow donor? Can you tell me a little bit about the donation process itself? Because I think that there's some hesitation for people to actually want to donate, there's some fear around what that actually entails. Would you mind sharing that with us? Yes. What what we've learned is people are either afraid that it's painful or that it takes too much time um, or, you know, that they have to take time off of work. Um, so what we learned, one, is 70% of the time, um, it, it's almost like getting your blood drawn when you're donating blood. It's rather painless. Um the second, 30% of the time, they do need to go through surgery. You go through general anesthesia, and they actually extract you a large needle through your hip bones, your um, marrow. Um, so that addresses the pain. Um, in terms of time off, um, actually, there's now a state law in California where if, if you are a donor... Um, you don't have to take PTO that, you know, our large group employers would support your efforts in donation. That is the coolest thing. One of the things I found so fascinating about how you were addressing this problem of diversity was looking at the workforce and also at your colleagues, really, and, and that they are there for a mission but a lot of times we talk about diversity in the workforce and how that brings diversity of thought and diversity of experience, and that makes us all better together. But Mika, you actually looked at diversity and saw genetic diversity, and you forever changed how I think about diversity in a workforce now, because I think that was such a, a paradigm shift about thinking about that. And then also about how you thought about your colleagues and coworkers and what they were there for. Can you tell me just a little bit more about that? I actually started from um, that Kaiser is diverse in terms of the race. That was my starting okay. point. And then as I was learning about national equity and inclusion, I realized it's broader than that, right? It's the diversity of thought. And it's the diversity of faith and diversity of economics. And there's so many different ways you can um, slice and dice diversity. Uh, but my starting point was... Well, look right? at, so well, look at us demonstrating diversity of thought right now, right? Um, so, um, so, yeah, turning it on its head both ways. But what I did, so that was my starting place. But what I learned in these outreaches is that 
the cultures for each group was also very different that defined how they react to our call to action. So, for example, the African-American community, which is really the most underrepresented in the registry, you know, historically in America, they haven't been well treated in terms of Western medicine and practice with Tuskegee, with Henry, uh, was it Henry Letta Black? Yes. um, So, so, uh, there's, um, there's not, there's a lack of trust in, um, when someone says, we need your metal, we need your DNA, or we need your blood, right? Yes. <laughs> it is. And so it's been a big challenge for us. And I know right now the National Registry um, called uh, Be the Match is actually primarily focused on the African-American community today because that's where they have the least um, chance of getting a match. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you then also helped coordinate just a whole big number of bone marrow donations through the organization, as I understand. Well, uh, it's all relative. Um, (laughs) you know, uh, I remember, uh, after one of the innovation conferences, um, uh, Chuck Bevelacco, one of our senior leaders, approached me and, um, he said, you know, he, you know, he acknowledged the program and, and said it was a great thing, but he challenged me. He said, Mika, you need a, you need a, you have goal, you know, like a, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And so we set our mind, we said, okay, let's go for the million donor march. We want a million donors. <laughs> So from that perspective, I feel like we have so much more work to do. Um, today, program today, we we just passed a 1,000 donor mark. <laughs> but but every journey begins with a step, right? And so, right. <laughs> and 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 how many would you have if you didn't shoot for the moon? Um, and so, good for you for doing that. So I am hoping that people are listening to your story and saying hey, you know what, I'm going to raise my hand. I want to be the match. So can you tell us what people need to do? What's the what's the call to action and how do they do it? Well, so we try to keep it simple. One of the things we did in our program was we partnered with the National Registry and created a co-branded website. So um, if you go to kp.org slash will you narrow me, it will take you to the co-branded website and it will walk you through the step-by-step process. Um, basically, the first step is you would put in all your demographic information. So your name, contact information, and then there's an attestation to say, you know, if you're matched that, you know, you are committed to this. Um, uh, because one of the things that uh, they are... Um, trying not to do is if a patient waits a year and finally gets a match and then last minute that donor says, oh, I'm not interested anymore. It's so devastating. So they really try up front say, are you truly committed? You know, if you are matched, will you go through? And they understand that sometimes life changes and, you you know, maybe you have an illness and you're not able to anymore. But um, 
so that's that's the first step: information about yourself, how they can contact you. Um, once that's submitted, be the match will send you um, a saliva kit. So the kit will have these three. It looks like two kits, but they're just bigger. And um, they have instructions where you take each Q-tip and you put it in your mouth and you scroll it around and get as much saliva on it as possible. Once you've done that three times, you you return the kit, put it in the mail. And when, when uh, the registry receives it, you're in the system and your DNA is now captured and in the computer and um, as patients. You know, DNA submitted, they will use yours to see if there's a match. And then if there is a match, uh, usually someone from, uh, closest to you, from, um, their regional representatives will reach out to you with a phone call to say you're matched and, and, and talk about, uh, the next step. Uh, and usually that, um, that includes a health assessment. Because, you know, oftentimes, you know, like in the case of Dr. Parks, you might have registered when you're 18 in college, um, but life changes and now you're 26 and when they approach you, um, are you still healthy? You know, are you pregnant? You know, there would be lots of different changes going on and so they need to confirm that it, you're still a viable uh, donor. Awesome. And I don't know the answer to this one. I'm going to see if you do. Um, but when there are companies doing genetic evaluations um, that people are having done to understand their risk, um, are they also looking at HLA typing for transplants? Do you know? So things like 23andMe, are they also evaluating whether people might be a bone marrow transplant or donator, um, a bone marrow donation candidate with those kinds of tests? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. It seems mm-hmm. like it would be a waste to not have someone's DNA and not do that testing, you know? It seems like yeah. there's an opportunity for collaboration there. Yeah. It, I suppose if there was consent, because that's definitely... Um, yes. Yeah. It, it would have to be part of that to, process. Right. Yeah. Your information. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. People are listening. You want them to sign up. Is there anything that you would say to them that you haven't had the opportunity to say so far? Well, you know, as much as the stories are moving, not everybody can be a donor. Um, So, you know, part of the online process is they'll give you guidelines, you know, um, in in terms of, you know, your health condition. And and if you're not able to register, you can still make a difference, you know. And my message is just spread the word. If you can just share, you know, the Bay story or another story from reading online, just, you know, telling as many people as you can will, will continue to help us spread the word. And, um, that's all it takes. <laughs> that's all it takes to save a life. It really, it seems like the most easy thing that anyone could ever do to be able to have those bragging rights for the rest of their lives. I saved a life by being a bone marrow donor. So thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for the work that you've done around this. You truly have contributed to life-saving therapies being available for people. And I'm so glad to share your story. And I do hope it inspires people to raise their hand and say, I'm next. I'm going to donate. 
Yeah, and I just want to clarify, you know, it wasn't just me. There's a whole team of volunteers that have helped. Um, I mean, within marketing alone, we have writers, we have programmers, we have so many graphic designers that help with the website, you know, photographers. So many people have stepped up. Um, you know, I can't list all the names, but um, you know that it's, there's an army of Kaiser employee volunteers that have helped um, within Health Plan and the um, Permanente Medical Group. Um, and um, uh, I'm just thrilled that we have such passionate employees um, that really believe in our mission. Yeah, yeah, me too. This has been really a delight for me to learn about. And um, I'm I'm now on board with you, with the whole team behind you about what we need to do together in order to increase um, that availability and people um, being donors. So amazing work. Yeah, and I appreciate you coming to us at this time because, you know, quite frankly, this 2020, you know, has been a difficult year for many. But it's been an, an extremely difficult year for the bone marrow team. Um, our ability to get registered donors have been through face-to-face mm. donor drives. We're at the colleges, at the fairs, at churches and temples, you know, even employee drives here. Um, it's always been in person. Yeah. And shifting to all virtual, um, there's less of that personal connection. And so... Um, it's been very difficult. And so having your podcast tell the story to a larger audience is really going to set us up to, you know, get more donors, I believe, that, as soon as it hits. Yay, <laughs> I get to be a you. part of the circles, <laughs> the, the ripples that go out then. This is awesome. Yes. Really wonderful. Yes. Thank you. All right. Well, have a wonderful afternoon. And uh, next week, um, I hope you have some time off with your family, but stay safe through this time. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to my guest for joining me today. And thank you for listening to the Health View podcast with me, Deb Friesen. I hope you'll share this episode with colleagues, friends, and family members who are interested in diving deeper into meaningful and relevant health and wellness topics. I look forward to the next conversation, and we'll share another episode of Health Views with you soon. Take good care. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. The discussion reflects the opinions of the speakers and is not intended to represent Kaiser Permanente policy. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. The content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the listener's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professionals.